Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which of course is Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my apologies, folks. It's been a week or more since Aaron and I last recorded a new podcast, and that's entirely my fault. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Nancy had back surgery last week, and what with all the preoperative appointments, not to mention that I, I managed to break the toilet right off of our master bedroom the day before Nancy was scheduled to have her procedure because I was trying to install a back-friendly toilet seat and I learned the hard way that porcelain doesn't bend. Anyway, lots of stuff to, to do and to fix, and so there just wasn't sufficient time to do the proper prep for a podcast, at least at my end. Uh, Aaron, on the other hand, you did your homework. You went out to the to theaters and saw Dark Phoenix and... What was your take on the, the Simon Kimberg film? My wife wanted me to sum it up in a sentence that said, basically, that was an interesting thing to have seen happen. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's kind of like, look at our baby. And you go, yeah, that's a baby. <laughs> and you, you just kind of turn and walk away. Ooh. If you have a problem with timelines, mm -hmm. this will just mess you up because it doesn't quite fit right into the timeline. Xavier has looked the exact same from 1970 to 1980 to now 1990. In the next 10 years, he's going to age drastically into Patrick Stewart. And so like, just the idea that they had to put each movie in its own decade and give it its own artistic style, but they never attempted to age up the actors to who they're eventually going to be until you're like a week apart from, you know, it's like, hey, it's James McAvoy, and then next week he just turns 50 years older and becomes Patrick Stewart. So there's that kind of stuff that will bug you. But I mean, beyond that, it's an X-Men movie, and you get teams that, you know, everyone's got to pick a side, and then something happens that's dramatic, and then they switch sides because X-Men are very, very wishy-washy when it comes to their convictions in these sort of movies. So everyone swaps sides. Okay. It starts off the movie where the X-Men have to go save the space shuttle. And if you just have any respect for science, space shuttle takes three giant boosters with millions of gallons of propellant to get up out of Earth's atmosphere and into space. And uh, they got the X-Jet, which, you know, seven bucks unleaded and you know they're off to the moon no problem and you just have to wonder why isn't nasa using these it to go out in space if it's that easy so little stuff like that will just drive you mad but beyond that x-men movie lots of cool powers now not not to interrupt here but simon kimberg did an interview over this past weekend with kcrw out on the west coast kim masters the great entertainment reporter talked with simon and he mentioned the original plan for Dark's Phoenix was that this was going to be a two-parter. So I have to wonder, did you get any sense of that sort of foreshortening? or? Well, just the mere fact that from a comic book perspective, Jean Grey gets the Phoenix powers in the 70s and doesn't really become the Dark Phoenix until the 80s. That's a decade oh. of content, of development, of her learning to be bigger and better and whatnot. And then later on, it, it all gets twisted. 
that's an excellent point. Okay. Yeah, I cool. mean, if they wanted to, they could totally go Lord of the Rings with it and do an epic three-part Dark Phoenix saga. I don't think anyone's necessarily asking for that right now because they've had two goes at it and they haven't mm-hmm. been Grand Slam home runs. So it's like, mm-hmm. eh, step away from the well. Yeah. Let's wait for Marvel to take their rest from mm-hmm. X-Men fatigue and come up with their own thing later on. But okay. uh, like Quicksilver is contractually obligated to be in one exceptionally cool scene. And then he's written off until the very end. And he shows up right before the credits roll to make a one line joke about running in the hallways. And then he's gone again. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of that truncatedness that can be frustrating. But... I have to say at the at the end of it, it is an X-Men movie that there's a lot of cool stuff that happens. There's a lot of eye candy on screen mm-hmm. that makes you just go, oh, that's what I'm here for. This is the fun part. There is a fun little interview I found from the Graham Norton show mm-hmm. where three of the basic key players talk about how they display their powers. And it was very, very amusing. Magneto, played by Michael Fassbender, says that his power for magnetism is basically constipated with jazz hands. <laughs> and okay. so you'll see in the movie, he kind of makes that grunt like something's going on, and then he puts his hands out to levitate something. And and so in his mind now, when, when you see Magneto, played by Michael Fassbender, in his mind he's saying, constipated jazz hands is my power. Sophie, who plays Jean Grey, her mutant ability is the slow doorknob turn where she reaches out her hand and kind of like grasping a doorknob and then very slowly turning it over to open the door that's how she displays her power and then jessica chastain and her maneuver was basically swiping right on an ipad so there you go i mean if if you want to make a top-notch high-budget X-Men film, the three things you need to display your X-Men powers are constipated jazz hands, slow turning of an invisible doorknob, and swiping right on an invisible iPad, and you are all set to make top bank at the box office. (laughs) I can never watch this movie again. Okay, well, geez. So, you know, we were talking about the length, the, the more... X-Men stories that used to take years and years and decades to tell. I just, in a two-hour movie, it doesn't quite make sense. And you were mentioning uh, in a previous show about some characters may end up on Disney Plus as a long-form series. They may not necessarily be introduced in a cinematic two-hour film situation, but more of a you know, 13 or, you know, 8 to 13 hours of TV episodes over on Disney Plus and X-Men makes sense because you've got so many characters, so many complex relationships that it might be better to relaunch them in that space to give them the the space to, you know, grow as characters so it's just not having to do jazz hands uh for an hour. Well, now it's interesting you bring that up because on the last show we shared that among the ideas that was being floated was that Fantastic Four would possibly go the Disney Plus route, that that might be where they'd introduce them and then bring them sort of up from sort of the farm team, the the minor league, to the majors. Stories made the rounds about how they're looking to do another Ant-Man, but Peyton Reed, evidently, the director of, of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, not only has been approached about Ant-Man 3, he's also been approached about what would you think about doing a Fantastic Four film? 
we don't need an answer right now. We just need you to sort of kick the tires and understand that there have been the two of the Fox's original pass and then the reboot, right? So there have been three. Uh, well, if you, you, you want to well, Cliff count the Corman. Come on, count Corman. Say yeah, it's four. Okay. Say it's four. So if you want to count the Corman, there have been four Fantastic Four movies. There you go. All right. But yeah, I just, I have to admit, I, I was kind of intrigued to have that sort of bubble up that Peyton's been offered the opportunity, but has to decide whether or not he wants to take it. So anyway, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, you, you. We were still in the middle of dissecting Dark Phoenix. No, I, I think the, the dissection is pretty much over. And what you'll find is if you just want to go in and have a good time and you really don't care that Patrick Stewart's going to be showing up as McAvoy's replacement in a mere nine years of mm-hmm. of timeline and that's not going to bother you, then go see the movie. You're going to have a good time. There's a lot of really cool stuff that happens. Just try not to think of constipated jazz hands. Otherwise, you'll end up laughing inappropriately. Oh, there's like one thing, and this is like a, a major gripe, and I, I got to just... Just get it off my chest and let it vent real quick. Mm-hmm. Magneto has a moment with Jean Grey, and he attempts to kill her. Mm-hmm. And she prevents that because she's now Dark Phoenix mode, and obviously she can stop that. And she says to him, quote, that's not how you kill someone. Let me show you how it's done. And she starts to crush his helmet around his head, which would have been a great way to end off Magneto right there. And then she tears apart the helmet into metal fragments and then thrusts those metal fragments into his body and tosses them out the window. And he very much does not die in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you are an omnipotent, I can do anything in the world power, and someone tries to kill you, and you say, That's not how you kill someone, let me show you how it's done, you had best damn better kill that person. That's it. That's just the end of it. Okay, I've got it out of my system. I'm better. Now, if you can get past a thing like that in a movie, mm-hmm. you can still have a great time. Okay. Well, because we do this, I've done this for other films, it's, I, I want to take a moment or two to talk box office here. Because I think about X-Men Dark Phoenix is this is the lowest grossing X-Men film in the 20 years of the franchise. It Opening weekend, only 32.8 million domestic. And then the second weekend, oh dear Lord, Aaron, they had a 71% fall off in box office. So over the entire second weekend, it only made 9.3 million. I have a really bad feeling about New Mutants because this just proves that the Stark girls cannot save an X-Men film. And the other Stark girl is sitting there in New Mutants and, and that just keeps getting pushed further off on the shelf. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that, that Simon Kimberger had done this interview with Kim Masters. And Simon's been associated with the X-Men since... As far back as 2006, he's been a producer on the series. He's been a writer on the series. This was his shot at directing. What was kind of refreshing about his conversation with Kim is that, so what happened here? And he said, well, look, there's no way to know. And that's the thing that I think can drive people crazy and keep them up at night and and thinking about a movie fairly years later. If the lesson you've learned is that you had the wrong release date or you didn't have good marketing... That's not the lesson. And he then stepped up and said, look, I'm here. I'm saying when a movie doesn't work, put it on me. I'm the writer-director. The movie didn't connect with audiences. That's on me. And it's just sort of like for somebody to say that in modern Hollywood, especially Mm -hmm. given the amount of money and time that Fox put into this thing, 
that's startling and kind of refreshing, Aaron. It's one of those things like if if you've ever had your significant other be mad at you mm-hmm. and you go, I don't know what I'm apologizing for. And that's why I'm mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those situations where they don't know what they keep screwing up over and over and over. This is their second time at Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're making the same mistakes over and over by too many unimportant characters not telling the right story, whatever. The only thing I wanted, honestly, was the the Phoenix Flames, the wings coming out of Jean Grey. And you mm. it, just like the end of X2, that gasp moment that you talked about, that you yeah. didn't know what was up, but your friends, everyone's gasping. Yeah. I wanted that. It happened in like the last 30 seconds of the movie, and then it went away. It was a day late and a dollar short. And, it mm. was, and by that point, I had given up caring about what I wanted. It was just not happening at all in this movie. But I mean, like I said, I still had a good time with it. Simon said pretty much the same thing. He said, I actually really liked the movie and I had an amazing time making the movie. And it's just, the thing is that that just didn't translate, I guess, to the finished product, which by the way, you went, so you know, the credits for this went on for weeks, right? Well, it's like any other Marvel movie where they cast an entire small nation worth of people to to make a movie because it's no 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 I, i'm not talking about the end credits i'm talking about the beginning credits i mean oh yeah it, I, okay <laughs> listen to this folks this is literally what you had to sit through before the movie started all right a walt disney studios motion picture release of a 20th century fox bad hat harry production donner company production in association with marvel entertainment and tsg entertainment so you had to sit through all of those cards before frame one rolled. And then when you got to the actual producer's credit for this thing, there were four full-on producers, the Simon Kimberg, Hutch Parker, Lauren Schuler Donner, and Todd Hollowell. And then the executive producers, I'm always happy to see Stan Lee's name up on a, on a credits, but there's also a Josh McEgland. And Oddly enough, the, the one name I didn't see there was John Favreau, but you have some Happy Hogan-related news, right? Yeah, there's a new show. There was actually, before we get to the show, there was a movie out called Chef starring John Favreau where he played a chef who was fed up with life in the kitchen, so he decided to go make his way in a food truck. Mm-hmm. The movie was funny. You know, had a little family element to it between him and his kid getting together and bonding in the truck. There's a fabulous recipe for (laughs) a Cuban sandwich, which my wife and I make regularly. So now John has gotten with the guy who taught him how to cook for making the movie Chef. The movie Chef is based off of this guy's experience in his own food truck. And so it's John with this chef and they end up having... Uh, celebrities in the kitchen with them and some Marvel related things that you will find out is Gwyneth Paltrow did not know she was in Spider-Man Homecoming like at all he's like hey remember when we were in Spider-Man she's like I wasn't Spider-Man I was in Avengers he's like no no at the end of Spider-Man she's like no and he's like yeah (laughs) remember the ring and the press and the people and she's like that wasn't Spider-Man it's like yeah it was girl and the fact that she didn't even know that she filmed for Spider-Man, you know, that's okay because that's oh. behind the scenes. But that also proves that Gwyneth has not seen Spider-Man Homecoming, the film. Otherwise, she'd go, hey, that's me. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. On the other side of it, they end up doing an episode where 
John Robert Downey Jr., Tom Holland end up having dinner with uh, Kevin Feige and the Russo brothers. And Tom Holland is a big fan of fish and chips along with a pint. Kevin asks Tom about the transition time for auditioning from Spider-Man to filming in the suit. Tom thinks it's about four days from the time he auditioned to the time he was on on the set. I think that might be a slight exaggeration because his mind was probably racing for a week. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, he claimed it was four days. If He's like, really? Four days? Yeah, four days. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it, it's a lot of fun to see them in a more relaxed. Uh, it, there, there's no interview happening, right? They're just talking as people that were at an event talk about things firsthand. There's no question that's asked, been asked a million times by a million reporters. They all know those questions, so they're not asking that of each other. They're just reminiscing, which is really what you want. From, I mean, you wouldn't get this that Gwyneth Paltrow moment from an interview ever. You have that between two friends. Otherwise, she'd have her BS face on and going, oh, yeah, I was in Spider-Man. Then she'd look over at her press agent going, was I in Spider-Man? They'd give her the thumbs up. She'd go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This show literally debuted on Netflix back on June 7th. I mean, this is a brand new thing and sounds amazing. I got to chase this down. I'm looking, supposedly there's a total of eight episodes. Yeah, they're they're all good. Not all of them have Marvel-related guests, but a few of them do. But overall, it's, it's a good cooking show. I mean, mm. if you like watching the Food Network and watching people that know how to cook, they do some really creative, amazing stuff where you go, oh, I've got to go get the ingredients and try that. And they do the uh, Cuban recipe from the movie Chef that my wife and I make and love. So if you try anything, try that. It's a wonderful sandwich. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, We were just talking about Robert Downey Jr. He's gone from being a pretend philanthropist to to being a really real, for real philanthropist. Is that correct? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, I think there was a little headline that just popped out that uh, Robert Downey Jr. is, now that he's got so much money from the MCU line in his pockets where he can almost be a real-life Tony Stark in the cash fund, he started, uh, or in collaboration, the footprint coalition to help clean up with the the world's pollution problems Mm, that's great i kind of love the idea of iron man being the guy who's you know helps us finally figure out what we're doing with microplastics and everything that's going on with the oceans these days yeah and i think every celebrity's got to have a a cause you know not necessarily picking left or right sides but just something they see needs to be done if they think that pollution is a problem they step up you know it's kind of like bill gates and uh, Melinda with, what did they almost have wiped off the planet, polio? Yeah, yeah, but now. It wasn't like the a threat to us as Americans as a mm-hmm. everyday, oh, polio's out to get you. But mm-hmm. elsewhere in the world, it was still a thing. And they just saw, hey, we could eradicate this in our lifetime if we just did something. Let's go do something. So it's good to have people like that in the world that have the means to do something and they see something go, I'm going to help with that. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm going to be able to cure it, but I'm going to help with it. That's mm-hmm. good. On the other hand, we we have folks like Tom Hiddleston who doesn't really have time to save the world because he's out causing mischief, being Loki. And yeah. we finally, I mean, you and I have talked on the the show a number of times about the Disney Plus series that Hiddleston's doing with Loki, and and you were the one who who floated that it has to be that he has to be doing time travel. It wasn't necessarily time travel. I was just speculating that since he's thousands of years old, we could mm-hmm. be visiting him at a, in his younger days when he was merely, you know, 700 and there then later go. another episode he's 900 or whatever. So it still could very well be time travel and it still could be him just doing whatever, but 
they had revealed a little piece of concept art, and it was Loki outside of a movie theater that was featuring Jaws mm-hmm. playing. And, uh, you know, not much of a reveal, but it gave you a sense of time because Jaws was 1979-ish? I want to say 74. Oh, was it really uh, that early? Yeah. Cause okay. it, it's, well, I, again, it was the first blockbuster and could have been actually oh, then, been 75. Uh, yeah, then it became Star Wars. They did the little art handoff. They did. They did. Yeah. But yeah, that that Spielberg gets a lot of credit for these days is the guy who sort of created the summer blockbuster. And, yep, that's right. Uh, uh, speaking of Mr. Spielberg, when we get back from commercial break, you actually have some news about Mr. Spielberg, and let's get to that. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, this is kind of intriguing because it's the way media is mutating these days. I mean, we've got Disney about to launch its streaming service, you know, with all of the original contents being created like the Loki series. And it's kind of intriguing that the thing you're about to talk about is actually being launched by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the head of Disney Studios for the first 10 years Michael Eisner was in charge, and they had their falling out. He went off with Steven and set up DreamWorks, and now here's Stephen and, and Jeffrey working together again. But you've got to tell people about this thing. I love the whole concept, even though I'm kind of annoyed by it. A little bit, yeah, because you got to stay up late. So the actual service is going to be called Quibi. That's mm-hmm. how I'm going to pronounce it, because I don't have a pronunciation for it, but it's Q-U-I-B-I. And it's mm-hmm. the two words are quick bites condensed mm-hmm. into Quibi. So Spielberg is apparently writing a series that's going to be horror-themed, and the gag of this specifically for Quibi is that because of geolocation and every device knows where you're at, it knows what time it is, you will not be able to watch the series until your clock locally is 12.01 a.m., and then you can start watching the Steven Spielberg horror series until, I believe, it's 8 or 9 in the morning when the sunrise is local, wherever your local sunrise time is, that's when the service shuts off and you're not able to watch the series until the next night at 12.01 AM again. And that just forces you into, you know, the lights are low. There's no safe place. All of the shadows are out to get you. Every little squeak is the ax murderer or whatever, because there's no daylight to save you. And I think that's a wonderful little idea. And I hope that, uh, Mr. Spielberg does not try and go friendly with it like mm-hmm. Stranger Things because I think, you know, younger people can still watch Stranger Things and not be ruined or scarred for life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I accidentally saw Alien over the back seat of a station wagon at a drive-in in 1979, and Ooh. I was scarred for about 10 years afterwards. I, I, I can <laughs> totally get behind that. So yeah, as somebody who, who has trouble making it through any movie these days without falling asleep, the fact that I have to wait up till midnight 
not enthusiastic about that, but at the same time, I, I love what Spielberg does, so I'll want to check this out. So Get an old VCR and then time everything to auto-turn on and play and then go. record so, it on VHS and yeah. So yeah, maybe I can I can possibly stay awake by sitting there and watching Alice play the the new Marvel Avengers game, the the Square Enix thing. Which uh, no, you're gonna have to wait for a while because that's gonna E3, be E three, right? Or? Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to wait to watch her play that because that don't come out until 2020. So ah, that'll be man. a minute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they did the, the unveiling of the video, and mm-hmm. a very brief synopsis. It starts off with something called Avengers Day. It's the opening of the West Coast Avengers headquarters. Mm-hmm. They have a helicarrier, and it has tech that's stolen during the celebration. A disaster occurs on the Golden Gate Bridge. Many people are, are killed in the event, and the Avengers are outlawed. On the very day that they had their own headquarters opening up in Avengers Day, now they're outlawed. So mm-hmm. flash forward five years later... And the game starts with a new menace and the need to reassemble the Avengers now. And uh, no loot boxes, no pay to win. All future characters and maps are said to be free DLC, which is rare, Jim. That is super rare for any company to mm-hmm. do that because it's always a cash grab with these things. So it was encouraging for fans. But what was not encouraging for fans is this is nowhere near the MCU Avengers. And I'm heartbroken that the community can't let that go. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we've spent the last 10 years with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, but when I grew up, artists change every couple of months. Mm-hmm. There was a new style, a new look, a new Tony. Every time, you know, Peter evolved a hundred times over my readings of Spider-Man just because it was a new artist. So I'm okay with the fact that you've got entirely new people inhabiting this character this is what it's meant to be it's always meant to be a playground it was not meant for seven chosen people to inhabit these characters for the rest of their lives and then nobody else could ever attempt it right Mm -hmm. uh that's just not fair so if you can get past that that they are not your mcu version of the avengers then it looks like it could be a really really fun time but a lot of people are you know there was like some comments that are you know very very funny but it was like, and Captain America, played by Chuck, the lorry driver. <laughs> Thanks for coming out for fan cast. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh dear. Now, now, speaking of which, though, that you were talking about Nolan North. He does yeah. the voice of Tony Stark in the game. Now, here's the cool thing about Nolan North is that he became, I want to say, famous in the voice acting world by playing Nathan Drake in the Uncharted video game series that's a PlayStation exclusive. Mm-hmm. And to bust it down into the smallest nutshell, it's young, hip Indiana Jones in his prime. And the thing that made Nolan North cool is in most video games up until a few years ago, voice acting consisted of, look out, he has a gun. Whereas Nolan North was like, oh my God, he's got a gun. And he actually responded to things in a real way. Like when he said, holy expletive, Mm -hmm. that was chances are the exact same thing that was falling out of your mouth when that event was occurring was holy expletive. I can't believe what what just happened. But it's all based, you know, jungles and vines swinging and and guns and bad guys, you know, like Nazis and stuff like that. Very, Mm -hmm. very much like a hip young Indiana Jones. Now, Nolan North is currently playing... Tony Stark in the Marvel Avengers video game. Cool. I'm behind that. Mm-hmm. Here's where the twist happens. Like a beautiful ballet dancer, Sony 
who owns the Uncharted series mm-hmm. or movie rights, pirouettes onto the stage. They snag a young Tom Holland fresh out of a Spider-Man costume, spin him across the stage, and he is now in a Nathan Drake costume ready for filming a movie that they want to come out in December of 2020. Uncharted, featuring formerly Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Tom Holland, taking the place of Nolan North, who is now Tony Stark in a video game. What's kind of significant about that is you, you have to remember that starting in 2021, you have Avatar and Star Wars, the, the series, basically swap the Christmas release date back and forth, back and forth. But next year in that window, we have Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story. In fact, the images of the cast dropped just today, the, the first look at, at them, and then Of course, we have Emma Stone in the Cruella prequel, you know, sort of explaining how the the fashionista who wanted all those Dalmatians came to be. And I forget where I was reading this, but somebody was pointing out that they're saying that Disney is on track to have its best year ever, that that the studio all by itself, thanks to things like uh, Endgame and soon to be released Toy Story 4 and, and the like. And let's not forget about Captain Marvel. They're, they're on track now, Aaron, for a $9 billion year. But, you know, again, the way Hollywood works is, is you know, that's great, but now it's 2020. And how come you're not making $9 billion again? <laughs> and, and it's like, we don't have another endgame. We don't have another Toy Story 4 because those only come along once in a lifetime, so to speak. And, you know, how would you like to be the, the Disney exec facing that these are the two films you've got for your holiday season? And here's Tom Holland in a movie version of a, a, the hugely popular Uncharted games. That does not sound like a good place to be, especially if you're trying to justify your job because you're now sharing your cubby with the somebody who's been brought over from Fox. So, oof. Yeah, and the other question is, when did they want to have the new Indiana Jones movie come out? Is it going to be before or after Tom Holland takes a swing at being a different version of an Indiana Jones? Because if uh, Uncharted comes out before Indy and happens to accidentally raise the bar on old Mr. Jones... Oh, boy, they better put some little non-slippy rubber balls on that walker and get that man a-shuffling. I want to say it's July of 2021. That's really not a good place to be. Mm. Yeah, there we go. July 9, 2021. Yeah. Just seven months later. Okay, that, no, no, not a good place. Yeah. Oh, you're making lots of people happy at Disney today. (laughs) I didn't mean to do anything. I'm just talking about stuff. I didn't create the timeline. Okay. (laughs) I just live in it. Well, all right. Speaking of things that didn't make people happy... Well, they were happy for a day or so. I mean, did you see this thing about that mysterious tweet that popped up of the webbing that said the number four 
For a day or so, the internet lost its mind because it was like, oh my god, Marvel's gonna make a comic out of Sam Remy's cancelled Spider-Man 4 movie, which would have been kind of interesting. I think it's the most fantastic leap in logic I've ever seen in my entire life because I it, a web with four means absolutely nothing, and I never would have gone back like a couple decades mm-hmm. and then associated a movie that never got made to a comic book that will be made. Was there evidence or news that they were ever considering making this comic book before the number four appeared in a web, Charlotte's Web style? Not to my awareness. And, you know, the weird thing, every so often this will happen. Though I mean, for example, someone will, will find a screenplay for a project that's tied to a particular filmmaker or that sort of thing. Right. And then, you know, make the comic. I mean, you know, for example... I want to say the land of sand, one of Jim Henson's early attempts at doing sort of a, a labyrinth, a dark crystal type thing. And mm. he could never get it off the ground. But the folks at the Jim Henson company found it in a filing cabinet and got together with an artist and, and created an amazing graphic novel. But yeah, you're right. This was kind of a leap. And to be honest, the very next day when Marvel then tweeted out a spider web that has three on it, it's like... Oh, it's a countdown. It's not no. the, the Sam Raimi thing. So right. So it's n- it's not news yet. It will be not, news in two one and yes, the day after that. You know, okay. And I apologize to you folks because the way math works here, by the time this show actually gets posted online, you'll have your answer as to what Marvel, <laughs> you know, comics is counting down to. Aaron and I will have to wait to discuss this on our next show. But right. I thought at the, the very least we we needed to acknowledge that and. And speaking of, we had a four, and now we have a three. You just plowed through all of the episodes for season three of Jessica Jones. and I did. What was our take on this, the final season of the Netflix version of the show? Uh, overall, I really like the show, and it's you know kind of a detective show, because that's your gig, so it's got to mm-hmm. take place. And it's a, a very film noir kind of style. She's... Mm-hmm plays the narrator and and does the inner monologue stuff around the episodes. So it's just the vibe that I dig about the show, and I've always liked it. And there are still issues that I have, and some of them are really big issues. And it's where I feel like a hypocrite, because some things I damn Dark Phoenix for, and then I turn around and go, but Jessica Jones, it's okay, because I like her. Mm -hmm. you know. And that's really not quite the case. I think it's more of the fact that I get to spend 12 hours with Jessica and I get to know her more as a character. I get to care about her more things like that, that allow me to forgive that when there's a weak link in an episode singular, I go, all right, well, at least the other 11 and a half hours haven't been terrible. Mm -hmm. So that's why I feel like I can be a little bit more forgiving just because it's a bigger picture and a smaller flaw. Okay. What would your take on the Luke Cage cameo? I was conflicted. A, Mm. I love him being on screen, so Mm. I was just happy for that singular thing. Mm -hmm. B, I wanted to know immediately, if he was on screen right at that moment, does that mean that it's now we can't have a Luke Cage season from two years from this day forward? Or was the clock when his season ended as a character? Because I'll be really disappointed if... I have to, you know, wait. If they were to bring back the Defenders on Mm -hmm. Disney+, Plus, I wouldn't want to wait an extra six months or a year to have Luke Cage just so they could put him in one episode for a minute. You know, but I love the character, so I was happy to have him there. 
but in my greedy sense, I don't want to be deprived of them later on down the road. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's it's good to have them back. Totally good to have them back. This one, I don't want to get into like anything spoiler because a lot of it as a detective show is all about the reveal. So we'll just talk about some things in general. Trish, the sister, is about to embody her Hellcat persona from early Marvel comic days. Uh, however, her learning to harness her powers montage is a very, very poor parkour routine on a children's playground set. Mm -hmm. And later on, Jessica refers to her powers as being very bad 90s parkour. So it was a question of if it's a bad joke, does it make it any better that you're in on your own bad joke? If you're going to make her cool, make her cool. And they also did this thing where they want to show that Trish can see in the dark. And to show that power, they put her out on the street where the image goes from darkly lit to not quite as darkly lit the contrast was not that significant to go, ooh, superpowers. It was like Marvel wanted to keep her powers more in the very subtle category the whole time rather than making her an overpowered superhuman type person. The stuff she did on the show after she became, you know, more properly trained was legit cool. For an actor to be able to pull that off, good for you. I couldn't do it. You did a good job. Um, it was just that montage in the beginning you know, this is street level on kids' playground equipment. Just look kind of bad. Getting past that, our villain, supposedly according to an interweb search, is a barely known comic character. The character is so unknown, they don't attempt to give him a look or a style or a fancy costume. He's just your basic human with the very wrong way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And then one thought process that they look at throughout the course of the show is, what if you captured a serial killer? And you knew that the evidence that you obtained illegally would be thrown out of court, setting the killer free. So what do you do? Do you, do you frame him? Do you kill him? You let him go and say, it's not my place to figure all this out. There's a bad person on the loose, and Jessica is lacking the evidence that can be used in court. She's not a killer. She doesn't want to go out and murder people that are bad. So a lot of the show is prolonged, and the hero and villain will come face to face and have a dialogue about what is right, in the world and i swear at one point they have this discussion serial killer bad guy jessica jones doing a wrestling demonstration in front of a gym class of young kids really yep i mean you couldn't make it up that is so outlandish to say like that but it happens it happens for reals Mm -hmm. And But the thing is, you know, Jessica's kind of known as the local superhero. Daredevil, Hell's Kitchen, they all know each other in this local hometown, that's my borough sense of hero. Mm -hmm. So these kids think of Jessica as their local neighborhood hero. And the gym coach, as, as a kid, Jim, honestly, wouldn't you love to see a superhero walk in and toss around your gym coach for five minutes? You cheer too, right? Mm -hmm. It seems ridiculous, but it kind of plays true in that sense of what the hell is happening? But of course it has to happen this way. Mm. We do have a couple of new characters that are very, very likable. We have a death of a main character that motivates other characters forward. And the most surprising thread that won't give anything away mm -hmm. is... Who ends up in handcuffs at the end of the final episode? Because the show, the season, could have technically ended one episode earlier. But this isn't necessarily the show about the serial killer as the bad guy. There may be someone else who is the bad guy that walks away in handcuffs. And it's one of those, huh, repercussions. Alice and I are looking for things to watch on Netflix later this week. So I guess it, it's time to wade into Jessica. 
before we we wrap up here, literally just before Aaron and I sat down to record, we had some casting news in regard to Shang-Chi, which they're looking now to begin shooting in Australia in the fall, or was that August? I forget. So we have Donnie Yen from the Disney side of the street. You folks might remember from Rogue One. You know, I'm one with the Force, and the Force is one with me. He's supposedly been approached about uh, coming aboard to join the cast of uh, the first Marvel superhero film to be built around an, an Asian superhero. Likewise, Lundy Lean, he was actually in the Power Rangers film that came out recently. But also, same thing, they're, they're looking to see if he would be available. So maybe by the next time we record, we'll have more information about this casting, plus that four three spider web thing you know that finally know what's going on there before we wrap mm -hmm. there is one thing about dark phoenix that i think is very very important for marvel and i'm going to tack it on the end forcefully here for a moment okay it's about the dazzler scene this is one of those moments where they just appear, do something cool, and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. And online after the movie came out, a lot of people were like, oh, I just want a Dazzler movie. Oh, it was so great to see Dazzler for just a split second, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Marvel and Disney, they're all about making a dollar, right? They want to tell a good story, true, but they're telling a good story so they can make a dollar. And I thought, if you're going to build a Star Wars land that I can walk into and fly a Millennium Falcon certainly they can do a dazzler not a movie not yet they've got you know like uh in the mickey mouse club where they had a britney spears and a christina aguilera and a justin timberlake back in the day they just it's like a farm for talent back there right mm -hmm. and you you find one of those young up-and-coming starlets that has a lot of talent that has the you know the whole package of acting and and they can remember their lines and sing a song and all that and you let her be kind of like how Hannah Montana slash Miley Cyrus existed in the world for a while. You make her Dazzler. You put on a beautiful stage show. I mean, Jim, you've talked about all the different lighting packages with Len and in, in the various ways that they'll use projection, they'll use fireworks, they'll use drones. You put all of that into a massive stage tour. You do an X-Men themed album where, you know, it's written from the perspective of Dazzler. And you let Marvel handle the, the writing of the lyrics and the content and let her put it out for a few years and manufacture something, throw it out as pop, put it on tour, make a bazillion dollars. And then as soon as she's like super popular, you can go ahead and make her a movie, pluck her into the X-Men universe. And you've got like fangirls from around the world who will go see any movie because Dazzler, the real life Dazzler is in that movie, I think would be totally awesome. And if they're willing to go all Star Wars land, just try a record, just one record. That's all I'm asking for. It's not that big of an investment, comparatively speaking to everything you've got going on, because if it works, oh my God, what a freaking tidal wave you could ride out of now having movies, comics, TV shows, and now you've got chart-topping X-Men on the well, Billboard 100. Let's put it this way, that it's been a number of years now since Disney's had a thing like High School Musical Live that, you know, toured arenas around the world, or for that matter, Demi Lovato and the Jonas Brothers. I mean, there they were Disney-sponsored tours that made big bank for the company. Right. And uh, more to the point, Feld Entertainment actually does i want to say there's two versions of a marvel arena show 
that are headed around the country or, or both North America and the other territories. Yeah. I mean, Dazzler is about sparkly lights. If you can't put sparkly lights in a concert, you have failed dramatically. I, I mean, guess, it's a simple yeah. thing. I'm just saying that Aaron is, has a very interesting idea. And if, if the folks at Disney and Feld are listening, maybe check this out. And speaking of stuff we'd like you folks to check out, there are other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We have, of course, uh, we just mentioned Lentest. We've got the Disney Dish Show. Likewise, we've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We also have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have the Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. And we have our brand new Disney merch show, I Want That, with Michelle Valladolid. If you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show, that would be very helpful. If you get out over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be killer. I promise folks we'll be back uh, to straighten out that 4321 thing and find out what's going on in the wonderful world of Spider-Man. Till then, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.